I, I really could use some of that right now, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> anyway, hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is that very special time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? It's going great. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you told me before we started recording that you weren't hyped. Like, you know, you you were low on energy. I don't know if you're faking it till you make it, but man, you're ready to go right now. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I am a professional. Uh, no, I'm super tired. I had a very rough work week so far. Uh, I am caffeine deprived. Uh, but, you know, we still go. We forge yeah. on ahead. Uh, so, dear listeners and hopefully viewers, uh, if you aren't familiar with the format here, a Tales from the Shelf episode uh, is essentially where uh, Brad and I share some stories about our respective film collections. Uh, as you may have noticed, we both have uh, quite a lot of DVDs, Blu-rays and 4K discs. Uh, fewer DVDs on Brad's end, uh, being as he's not generally a fan of that format. Um However, by the way, uh, just fair warning, Brad, I did pull a lot of DVDs this time. Oh, boy. <laughs> get get your fucking uh, puke bag ready. Yeah. Uh, so basically what we're going to be doing here today is just swapping stories, like I said, about our respective film collections. And being as it is the month of October, uh, which happens to be the month in which Halloween falls, uh, I have dubbed today's episode Halloween Havoc uh, in respect and honor to uh, now defunct wrestling uh, organization WCW, uh, which that was kind of like their Super Bowl uh, from year to year of uh, pay-per-view events. As far as I know, Halloween Havoc has made a comeback on the NXT program via WWE. But anyway, everything ends up being wrestling on the show eventually. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be talking about horror movies uh, in the spirit of Halloween. Uh in general, Brad is more of the horror head uh, between the two of us. Uh, he has quite a lot of schlock, as he puts it. Uh, I do as well. However, mine tends to be of the the punchy, kicky variety, as opposed to the, the goopy monsters and slashers, uh, largely from uh, European nations, mm -hmm. Italy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm largely going to be leaning on Brad probably to guide this conversation. So. Uh, as tends to be our tradition here on the show, uh, Brad, uh, I'm going to kindly ask that you lay down in front of the bus, and let it back up over you. Uh, what is your first horror Halloween Havoc pick uh, for today's Tales from the Shelf? Well, speaking of buses, <laughs> it wasn't a bus, but it was a uh, truck that dropped off my package that had this Blu-ray that I just got in the mail I think it was on Monday, and then I just watched it last night. So for for my horror picks, obviously I have so much horror. Like just look at behind me, look at all this stuff. Um, so I, just, I most of it, not all, most of the ones I picked to highlight this time, um, is just stuff that I've watched this month. It's just it's fresh in my mind. I'm doing Hooptober, watching all those horror movies. Don't know if I'm gonna get to 31. It's gonna be tight. It's gonna be tight, but I'm hoping I will. Um. So I watched a movie last night, partly because I recorded um, my regular show 
um, episode, I, you know, wanted to squeeze in a movie and I'm like, what is a short movie that I could squeeze in? And I was like, oh yeah, I just got this movie in the mail. It is one hour and two minutes. Perfect to squeeze in for Hooptober. Um, arguable in terms of like, it, it, I mean, it is a horror movie, but it it's a little, you know, it'll make sense once I reveal it. Uh, it is a Criterion Collection collection it's from the criterion collection and it's a collection of films this is uh the just released todd browning's sideshow shockers which contains freaks uh the unknown and the mystic now i've only seen freaks i had seen it previously and then i rewatched it last night um and i uh first of all i really like the set really cool looking set um and I like freaks a fair bit. It's it's interesting because I would I would certainly still classify it as a horror movie. And obviously the thing is like, you know, the thing is like, okay, the the freaks are not the evil ones in the movie. Like that's that was the you know, the the progressive thing at the time. Like you you go into this movie back then, you know, 100 years ago uh, like, like Trevor, uh, this movie came out in 19, uh, like 20 or 1932. Would you classify this as an old movie? Is this old enough to be considered old? Or do we need to go back? Is the thirties? Yeah. Is that, yeah, is that a count? It's, it's older than my dad. I would say that's an old film. Right? Okay. All right. I just, okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah. So, you know, this old movie, um, back then people, they went into this and it's called freaks. And the whole thing is that, oh, well actually the, you know, the the normies are the actual baddies. You know, that's the whole like the like obviously now it's like, well, yeah, no duh. But back then that was kind of the big, you know, progressive twist, I guess. But it it also does I mean the weird thing with that is like, yes, the um the one woman who marries the uh little person or dwarf or whatever the correct term is um for his money and tries to kill him. Obviously she is the villain of the movie, but it is interesting because like in the final sequence, um, the horror does stem from, yeah, we were the monsters all along. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the horror does stem from, you know, the quote unquote sideshow freaks, uh, stalking through the, the rain and the mud and, you know, coming at them with knives and like the horror still does come from the, the, the freaks weirdly enough. Um, but yeah, I, I like the film. It's, you know, it's not amazing or anything. It's it's a weird structured movie because it's a lot of just like you get like these little vignettes with the sideshow performers. And, you know, there's the main through line of the trapeze artist marrying the the little person guy and wanting his money. But then there's just like all these kind of just like weird asides. And I, I'll say I, I just I love like the, the sideshow performers in here. The guy who has no arms and legs, the scene where he lights a cigarette, he rolls a cigarette and lights it all with his mouth is amazing. Like that is pure cinema right there. That is awesome. Um, and I do love the ending like this in the storm with the the the, the freaks uh, coming down upon the, the trapeze artist and her lover like real, real like, you know, that scene is shot like a straight up 100 percent like this is a horror film. Um, and I, I think that scene is is awesome. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird little movie. It's not perfect by any means, but uh, I, I do like it. And it was it was a nice rewatch. 
Very cool. That's a interesting way to kick things off, Brad. Um, I haven't actually seen the film, but uh, oddly enough, we uh, we did have it on VHS uh, at my parents' house. When really? I was, when I was pretty young. Yeah, my my dad would just randomly grab movies. <laughs> like there's no rhyme or reason to it. For for fuck's sake, uh, we had a couple of Toxic Avenger films that he kept trying to get me to watch. Like he kept trying to find a way to convince my mom I was allowed to watch them when I was really young. And, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty well-adjusted person, but that may not have been the case had he succeeded in winning that particular discussion. Um, but yeah, we did have freaks on the shelf. And uh, as you say, the, the ending is kind of iconic, um, such that I have at least seen that. Um, mm-hmm. Is that the is that the one of us film as well? Yeah. yeah. Google. What did they say? Google gobble, Google gobble or gobble. Go- How are they saying? <laughs> gobble. Cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I remember the, that mantra is associated with that movie. Um, but yeah, I, I am curious, like being as you have seen the film and you do appreciate it, like what would, what's your take on like the general vibe of like the, the cinematography and the editing when it comes to showcasing the, the, like the quote freak characters. Cause I'm curious if like, there's like a fetishistic angle to it or a lot of times you can tell from from film, especially like the type of relationship that the author of the film, like you, the director has w- with those people, like yeah. usually like say like a John Waters film or something, you can tell he loves these people. Yeah. Like, like there's an affinity that that is it, there's a vibe that you get from the way those people are portrayed on film, like regardless of what they do in the film, you can tell that the person shooting them is like appreciates them on some level. Do do you get that from freaks? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause on the back, on the back of the criterion Blu-ray here, it does say that uh, Todd Browning did used to work as a circus performer. Oh, wow. So clearly, I don't know if these uh, people were people that he knew from his time in the circus or he just, you know, drew upon those experiences, but yeah, clearly he, he has an affinity for them and a love for them and a love for that, that culture. Um, and certainly, yeah, like, again, even though they are responsible for some of the horror in the movie, they're always, you know, they're always looked at in a pretty, you know, loving, positive angle. Like, again, like there's even a line where not not all the, you know, the quote unquote normies are bad. Like there's one female character who she has a line that says, like, she's talking to the one the the guy who is like teamed up with the trapeze artist to steal the little person's money and he's like what why are why are you you know going against your own kind and she goes those sideshow freaks are more my kind than your greedy ass or well she doesn't say that but you basically like you know that's a paraphrase what she says so yeah it's clear that he you know todd browning he has he has a love for um this, this culture and these people and uh, yeah, I mean, just showing that scene of that guy lighting that cigarette like that is just like a, a moment of him not being like, these people aren't scary. This is cool. Like, this is awesome. And I agree that that guy is the MVP of the movie, that, especially in the scene where they're at the end crawling through the mud and he's got no arms and legs and he's just kind of rolling and he's got the knife in his mouth. And um, <laughs> I remember there's this uh special it was a countdown of uh, it was on bravo like the scariest movie moments and i just remember john landis uh you know n- not 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 the best guy but uh 
I know I'll never forget their, him talking about the movie and he, he had a love for the movie and he just, he was like talking about that guy. And he's like, I remember seeing this guy with no arms and legs with a knife in his mouth, rolling through the mud. And I thought, what the hell is he going to do with that knife? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see what his end game was with that. I really would like to see that, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a cool little movie and I'm, I'm excited to, Check out the other ones, the unknown and the mystic. One of them apparently was like long lost. Like it was thought be, to be like, you know, but apparently they found some elements. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to check them out. Very cool. Yeah, I, I would very much like to at least see Freaks just mm-hmm. just because like, I mean, the name of my show is catching up on cinema. And that's oftentimes what we try to do is like think back on things that have eluded us or things that jumped out at us for whatever reason and find an excuse to check it out, see what it actually was rather than what we imagined it to be. And being as I had that VHS staring me in the face every day of my childhood, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious, especially because it's in the Criterion collection um, and just the cinematography alone and the vibe of that final scene. It's like, this is a quality film. Like this is, this is a, a piece of art that's very mm-hmm. well made. Um Yeah. And yeah. also it was interesting. I was just curious, like looking up the cast after the fact, I was just thinking, you know, like back just in terms of it being like that time period and some of these people, like obviously, you know, having, you know, disabilities, like no legs, no arms, no, no arms or legs. I was thinking like, man, probably a lot of these people didn't live. They probably died pretty young. And I was pretty shocked, like going through IMDb, like the majority of the the freaks in the movie, the cast, like lived well into their 60s and 70s. Like, so I'm very, very pleasantly surprised to see that. Like, I, I would have just expected a lot of these people to die young. But thankfully, yeah, they lived nice, long lives. A lot of them, you know, really didn't do any other movies, not surprisingly. But a few of them uh, did a couple other movies, like the main little guy, little person. Um, he was in, I forget, he, he was in like a couple movies and, um, he was one of the munchkins in the wizard of Oz as well. So, um, a few of them had some, you know, careers in Hollywood there. Yeah. Very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. I mean, like not to go on a whole big tangent or anything, but, but just like the whole subject matter of like quote outcasts and misfits and like found family, like surrogate families Mm -hmm. is is something is a tale as old as time. It's something that is portrayed on film pretty often. Like, and oftentimes there's like generational, like landmark films of sorts. Um, like Nightbreed comes to mind, uh, the Clive Barker film that it's, I mean, I, I like to kind of jokingly refer to it as an X-Men film of sorts. It's like, it's a horror tinged X-Men movie, basically. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, oh, some teenage guy goes off, finds a community of people who don't fit in. And they all have weird abilities and stuff, quote, weird abilities that make them different from other people. And then the man comes trying to crash down on them, including David Cronenberg. <laughs> I was like, you think he'd be their best friend yeah. <laughs> in real life anyway. But in the movie, yeah, yeah. he's an actor. But anyway, that's a whole t- that's a conversation for a different episode or a different day. Um, but holy shit. You put me in a weird position here, Brad, because what the fuck do I follow that up with? Yeah, definitely probably not where you thought I was going to go on my first pick there. But uh, hey, I just picked it up in the Criterion flash sale, so I had to, had to do it. Had to do it. Well, this is a, a bold move. Um, this is a kind of unconventional pick here. 
um, and kind of a dishonest pick on my part. So bear with me. There's an agenda here and one that you'll understand because in case you weren't aware, dear listeners and hopefully viewers, uh, Brad, if he is, if you're within his social circle and you have letterboxed, Brad knows what you're doing. <laughs> he knows what you've been up to if you're doing your due diligence uh, and updating your letterbox regularly every time you watch a movie. I do, Brad, because of you. Um, Thank so, you. <laughs> it means I don't have to poke you. It means I don't have to get nasty yeah. with you on, on the mic <laughs> in front of a live audience. Uh, so you mentioned Criterion. Uh, so that I'm I'm going to use that. It's like we're talking high quality shit. Um, but the movie I have in my hand is actually not really the one that I want to talk about. But it is a jumping off point for the discussion. I don't actually own the movie that I want to talk about right now. Um, so I have here in my hand a movie that is not a horror film, not by any stretch. Um, but it does have a similar vibe to a movie that I do want to talk about. I'm going to use this as a launch pad for it. I have Uncut Gems from the Criterion Collection. Not a horror movie. As scary as Adam Sandler looks, and, and I know he's terrifying. Um, uh, this is not the movie I want to talk about, but it is in the Criterion Collection. Brad just talked about a Criterion pick. I actually want to talk about Shiva Baby, uh, mm. or Shiva Baby, uh, which I watched. I thought you were going to say Hubie Halloween. Go with the Sandler <laughs> uh, route. Hubie Halloween. Uh, no, I haven't watched that one. I- I'd like to, though. Um, some- watch something, that something about it, like I saw a trailer for it, and I was like, that doesn't look half bad. <laughs> like that, that actually kind of looks a little bit fun. Yeah. I would watch Hubie Halloween if it is in fact pronounced Hubie. Is it is it Hubie or like Hubie? I think it's Hubie. I think it's Hubie. Hubie, Hubie Halloween. <laughs> Whoa, get to the back of the board. <laughs> uh, vintage Sandler. But yeah, uh, Shiva Baby, uh, which is a jumping off point because uh, this Uncut Gems film that I have here in my hand. This is directed by the Safdie brothers. Uh, and it has a similar vibe or at least a, sim- a similar kind of tension to it, like a social tension to it, like an ever present ominous tension bearing down on you, the viewer throughout the entire film and the protagonist uh, at the same time. Um, and on top of that weird connection, but both are uh, extremely Jewish uh, subject matter films, um, uncut gems and Shiva baby. But Unfortunately, like I said, I don't actually own Shiva Baby. I watched it via uh, funny story. Um, I had to uh, get a seven day uh, free trial of Cinemax uh, Mm. via Amazon Prime uh, in order to watch uh, our most recent episode uh, for catching up on cinema from hell. Uh, That was the only streaming service that was available on was Cinemax. I'm not paying for Cinemax. <laughs> uh, I have no need for Skinemax, not in the internet age. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, it just so happens I was in a situation where uh, the girlfriend was out and about. Uh, I didn't know when she was going to be coming home, and I wanted to watch something short, which, I hey, that's another way that I can connect this to Brad's pick. I was looking for something short, and sure enough, Shiva Baby popped up on the Cinemax streaming service via Amazon, and it's uh, sub 80 minutes. It's like 76, 78 minutes, something like that. Uh, and, you know, I was worried that, you know, I, 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 for some reason, was in a mood where I didn't want to be interrupted watching a movie. And I had no idea when the girlfriend was going to be coming home. Uh, so I was like, shit, 76 minutes. Let's do it. And I put it on. I'd heard nothing but good things about the movie um, from Brad included. 
just the internet in general, like everywhere I'd been reading about the film, I'd heard good things. Uh, but I seem to remember you talking about on your podcast, the Cinema Speak podcast, uh, and it was excellent. It's an excellent film. Uh, not a horror film, mind you. Not a Halloween film either. Um, but very, very tense. And uh, there's a phrase um, that I use in discussions with the girlfriend every once in a while. Protect your neck. Um, <laughs> use it for a variety. Of, I don't choke out my girlfriend. We're not into that. But <laughs> but it's a it's a thing that I uh, that Kyle told me about um, when he's scared watching a movie or when he's uncomfortable. He he puts it if he has a hood, he puts it up and he hikes his shoulders up. And I like I see I've seen him do that before, and I call it protect your neck. <laughs> and this this movie, Shiva Baby, gave me that that feeling of yeah yeah. Of like I like that. I like. That. I need to protect my neck. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like boxing my shoulders up around my neck, and like leaning back into the couch in discomfort, um, because it is relentless with its tension building and just the the cinematography and the editing really do a lot to put you in a very uncomfortable space it is an incredibly claustrophobic film a lot of the shots are framed like this um and it, the just the the sound mix of the film on top of that is brutal where a lot of this a lot of the sound that would normally be cast off in the editing process or not even captured for that matter like things like air conditioning units or fans people coughing and, and breathing into microphones and stuff is just left in the movie. And it gives you this sense of it's like, it's like walking into like a, like a really humid room or something. It's, it's like the air itself is, is pressing up against you in some way. You feel backed into a corner the whole time you're watching the movie. And as such, it may be the most uncomfortable movie I watched this year so far. Um, but I think that maybe says a little something about my relationship with horror films is that maybe that's something more interesting to talk about rather than Shiva baby is, is how, how we relate to horror movies, Brad, because in my case, I don't, th I don't think I'm drawn to horror movies. I think I'm drawn to things that are commonly present in horror movies. Um, I don't, I, I think like most sane human beings, I have an aversion to the feeling of being scared. Um, but how about you, Brad? Like what, what, how do you relate to horror movies? Like what, what is, what pulls you into them? Like what attracts you to them, I guess? Well, I mean, you got blood, you got boobs, you got, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, what is I'm best joking. in life, Brad? <laughs> well, I, mean, hey, I mean, yeah, I get, I'm joking, but I, you know, that, that, those are selling points, I guess. Uh, no, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, certainly I guess just growing up, like the idea of something being a little taboo, like, you know, some, some boundary pushing movies and wanting to watch those things because, um, you know, you weren't supposed to watch them, I guess. And then, you know, the love of that growing from there. And also like, I mean, I've, I've mentioned it before, just like how, I don't know, like I have a, I have nieces who are like six and eight and, it's just funny because like I specifically know that when I was four, like at five or four, I, like sub five years old, I was watching like Jurassic Park and Gremlins and, you know, just uh, some stuff that was like nowadays, like if I showed uh, those to my nieces, I'm, I don't know if I would. Uh, my my sister probably wouldn't take too kindly to that even there. And they're older than I was when I watched those. So just uh, I think I watched some stuff where people get, you know, eaten and 
stabbed and just you know killed uh, at a young age so and i just i i i actually do like the feeling of uh being scared i mean like you said and the idea of like anxiety and i i, I agree i like those movies like uncut gems and shiva baby that ramp up the anxiety in a different way um but yeah i i actually quite like uh being scared and i just yeah i've always been uh been a fan of horror like whether it's a serial killer movie or a ghost or a monster i'm i'm into it all i uh, yeah just something about the genre just keeps me coming back also i read stephen king started reading stephen king at a you know decently young age um goosebumps as well so you know all that stuff kind of just like kept combining and you know you start start with goosebumps and then you just keep going more and more extreme and yeah so i'll i'm, I'm here for it all you're gonna end up like james woods and videodrome if you don't watch out <laughs> basically yeah, yeah basically um yeah I, I, it's interesting because like my story is kind of similar to yours actually like i i watched a lot of fucked up shit when i was pretty young too um, a lot, a lot of more violent fare than I think a lot of kids like contemporary to me were, were watching. Um, but in general, I think like what largely has always drawn me to horror movies is, is like I said, the things that are often included in horror content, like, like makeup effects and, and mm -hmm. gore and like technical stuff like animatronics and, and prosthetic effects and stuff. Like remember, like as a small child, Godzilla was my, my hero. Like he was my, my favorite thing in the world was guy in a big rubber monster costume. He was, he was my favorite thing. And so by extension, like a lot of horror movies tend to have things like that, like monster movies more specifically. Um, but yeah, the, the feeling of being scared is not something I, I often get from movies. I do get it from games every once in a while. Um, and there's a, there's a certain kind of like paralytic fear that it, it's probably most akin to anxiety that like tells me I'm actually afraid of something. And I, I very seldom, it basically never get it from movies, um, interactive experiences like real life, uh, for sure. That's the reality is the scariest movie, <laughs> um, but uh, video games as well, oftentimes scare me the most, but, um, Anyway, uh, that's something we can probably circle back to. But like Shiva Baby, um, would you care to sh share any thoughts on that one? Because I, I know I know you've seen it. Uh, I check Letterbox as well, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> would you, any any thoughts on it here as far as like a horror movie discussion goes? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like the film. Uh, it, you know, it definitely plays in that genre of like, you know, a, a movie that just gets you stressed, brings up your anxiety and really puts you in the main character's shoes. And um I know it was released after Uncut Gems and some of the Safety Brothers other stuff. So, it, you know, it did feel very much like I don't know if it was a conscious choice, but like doing a Safety Brothers style film. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, the main actress, Rachel Sinow or Sinat or however you say her name. She's like, if you're putting stock in an actress, put it in her because she is like not only is she like, you know, film Twitter's favorite actress at the moment but she's <laughs> legitimately great in everything i've seen her and i i really like her in shiva baby and i thought she was amazing and bodies 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 yeah i actually got the girlfriend kind of interested in checking that one out but yeah i noticed that too like that that's like a, a fun like 
metagame that feels akin to sports almost when it comes to young up and coming actors is like it's like i got a feeling about this one <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like w- 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 look out for this guy he's, he's gonna make a run for the title i'm telling you <laughs> like, um but yeah you're absolutely right like just looking at the people that she's working with and the projects that they're being handed up to her like bodies 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 that's an a24 production correct yeah yeah and then on top of that that bottoms movie i know also on film twitter is getting a lot of positive press there's a lot of people really invested in that movie so she's seemingly every time she goes up to bat it's she's doing really well (laughs) she's got a good batting average just say that much and and you know like not that her roles aren't don't have their dramatic side but pretty much everything i've seen her in is in like some comedic capacity and like you know it's pretty rare nowadays where you see like pretty rare nowadays where anything is funny in a movie i'll be honest so when you have a performer that is actually funny like you know it's like wow she's actually elevating this material like she she is really funny um yeah yeah yeah. so i think that's actually part of her her background I, I think she did like improv or, or studied comedy to some degree. And, and, yeah. and in fact, like I noticed that they mentioned that in Shiva baby, like you can tell that there's probably some improvisation going on in that film. A lot of very talented actors in that film, like the, the confidence of that production is really striking. Like it, it's so crystallized and well-formed, like really well thought out in how it's presented and performed. Um, but yeah, I, I do think she has a comedic background. And yeah, she's legitimately pretty fucking funny in the movie. Um, I haven't seen Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. But like I said, I got the girlfriend kind of interested. So maybe I'll end up seeing it. Check it um, out. <laughs> uh, you got to do it. Uh, so uh, we should probably actually talk about some horror movies. So <laughs> being as it's called Halloween Havoc. Uh, so Brad, how about you uh, get us back on track? What is your next uh, Halloween Havoc horror pick? All right. Well, let's go with uh, let's go with this one. Why not? Because I love this movie. I could talk about this movie. You want to talk about this movie for two hours? Um, Just fucking do it. it. (laughs) Just released on 4K uh, this month. One of my favorites. I have The Mist. Oh, shit. Yeah. Four disc set. You got uh, two discs for the color version, 4K and Blu-ray and two discs for the black and white version. Um, I, uh, really like this movie. Like it's an interesting movie because it is not perfect by any means. Like there are some choices in here that I'm not crazy about. Um, obviously, you know, some of the effects are a little, you know, especially in 4k, they're like a lot like those tentacles are yeah. <laughs> uh, like even back, I remember when the movie first came out, like those tentacles were not. Yeah. Good. Yeah. But, you know, I love the concept so much. And I think this movie is just like it's one of those classic movies that just sucks you in. Like I just you put it on and I've seen this movie so many times and it's just so just engrossing. Just like and the the idea of like putting yourself in that situation, like thinking, you know, what would I do in that situation, you know? how would I stay in the grocery store? Would I, you know, would I make a trip to the pharmacy? That sort of thing. And just the mystery of what is out there in the mist, like even watching it this time, knowing exactly all the monsters that we see, there's just still that factor of like, you know, there could be anything out there that still just is so engaging. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, it, it's uh, really well directed, I think, for the most part. Um, you know, some of the performances are a little iffy, like I'm not like Thomas Jane. He's 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 good, but there, there are some moments where he is asked to do a, a little more than he maybe uh, has the uh, capability to. Um, but uh, and I also I mean, I don't, I'm sure some people hate it, but I, I love the ending. Um, I also love how it's been, uh, co-opted into a bit of a meme. I don't know if you've seen any people referencing the ending. Uh, there's a, there's a meme of the ending. So like, uh, for example, um, I, you know about the Drew Barrymore controversy, um, where she was going back to her show, her talk show. She has her talk show, Drew Barrymore. And, uh, she would like announced, I'm going to be going back to my show without any writers. Uh, blah, blah. And she got basically like, you know, just the internet tore her apart for, you know, basically crossing the picket line or whatever. Yeah. And then a week later, the writer's strike ended after. So people were, you <laughs> I, know, posting I, a picture of Thomas Jane <laughs> at the end in I front of the it. tank and, <laughs> Drew Barrymore as soon as the writer's strike ends a week. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's pretty good. Actually, pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, big fan of the movie. Crazy as well with Frank Darabont, like his career. I mean, I think he's a little bit of a reputation of being a bully, so I'm not going to say I feel bad for the guy or anything, but like um, this guy, like he did The Walking Dead and it kind of like crashed and burned his career because of the whole thing of him getting fired uh, and then him suing AMC. And I tried to look up like, why has this guy done nothing in the last however many years? And the best I could find is either a, he, I think he did get money out of AMC suing them for wrongful termination or some shit for the walking dead. Uh, and then either. So he's just living off his money and he doesn't care to do anything or uh, he can't get any work because he's sued the production company and no, now nobody wants to hire him knowing that he's fully willing to sue uh, a studio that uh, screws him over. So it is unfortunate because uh, I have not seen the Majestic with Jim Carrey, but uh, I mean, the guy's got a pretty good uh, batting average and in terms of his feature films. Oh, yeah. He and Stephen King go together like peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah. Like, they've... yeah he's done pretty incredible things like working from Stephen King's texts. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the latter that, that this, this is a man who is willing to bite the hand that feeds him. Um, and I'm sure a lot of studios are just like, I don't know, man. It's like the walking dead is like, say what you will about the quality of it. I haven't seen a episode of it, but I know it's persisted. Like regardless of its quality, it's shambled along for, forgive the wordplay without him so mm-hmm. it's like whatever juice he's got like i'm guessing the studios feel that they already got it um although like like you said his, his track record it's pretty fucking good he's made a lot of really good movies but i have heard the same rumors that you have that he's kind of a dick bag <laughs> like like he's a little prickly um to work under um but holy shit that's a that's a 4k that i i very well may end up purchasing uh, it's like brand fucking new, right? Yeah, it just came out this month. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I will probably end up grabbing that. Uh, I might wait for a sale or something, but I really love that movie. Um, just the concept alone, as soon as it was announced, like as soon as I caught wind of it, 
I think it came out like when I was in college or something or maybe immediately post college. But like I was so hyped for it because like everything about that idea in, in a film, like more so than a book, for some reason on film, I was like, I this is a movie that like I can't believe we don't see these more often. Like this sounds so simple and direct and visceral in in the way that appeals very much to me. Like I said, not super drawn to the sensation of being scared or horror movies in general, but like gore and monsters, man, monsters in particular. Like I was like, holy shit, there's monsters in the mist. Something in the mist says the man from the blob with the the funny face that's in all of Frank Darabont's films. Apparently I don't know his fucking name, but something in the mist. As soon as I saw that in the trailer, I was like fucking sold. And yeah, uh, I saw it as soon as I could and I loved it. Uh, Like I said, like Brad said, uh, it does have some liabilities here and there. Thomas Jane is a kind of an unconventional pick for that character, like mm-hmm. like like especially at that stage in his career where it's like he's he's still kind of jacked, like he's still kind of taking care of himself, and it's like you're a, you're like a poster artist, <laughs> like like you look like Baseball Dad, like like yeah. you you look you look like the character from Hung, the HBO show. You you look like that guy who's like a triple a ball player or something you don't you don't look the part of like kind of like meek straight and narrow kind of guy like he seemed he's still he's still got some punisher muscle on him is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's a little bit gruff like he he comes across as like a little stronger than i than that character ought to be if you ask me like he doesn't come across as an everyman he comes across as better than me is what i'm saying <laughs> like, like he could probably run faster than me i'm pretty sure he could beat me in a, in a foot yeah, race yeah. <laughs> um tons of great character actors though um, everybody brings their all um some really odd choices in terms of like where where like the locale shift to occasionally but and also the effects like brad said kind of spotty um, but I have not seen the black and white cut, and I do know mm. I have heard that that was the director's in- intention. The studio mandated it be in color. Um, do you think the, the do you think the black and white works better for it? Uh, what's your opinion on that? I've only watched the black and white cut once. Um, I mean, I get why he likes that version and why that was his preferred version, but I still. I still prefer the color version. Uh, I mean, you're in a grocery store. You want to see all those packages and those colors pop. That's half the fun. Half the fun is watching this movie, you know, like 15 years past the film and seeing Vault. Do you remember Vault? The the pop, the soda pop, the Vault, the energy soda pop? No, what that? is this? No, you never what heard is, of Vault? What is, what is Vault? I believe it was a Coke product and it was uh, like marketed as it's like part soda, part energy drink. Uh-huh. And it was good. I love it. <laughs> it was like a little bit like a Mountain Dew kind of thing, but like it was supposed to have even more kick. Um, and just watching this movie and seeing Vault, just the green Vault logo on the shelf there, it was just like, oh, this is, oh. This is heaven. And then you see some of those prices, <laughs> and it's like, holy crap. What, man, if I could go back to 2007, I'd tell you what. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the black and white version is cool. Like if I was to watch this again, I, I probably would watch the black and white version next. But um, it and it was I, I know he wanted it to be um, in black and white, but it was shot knowingly that um, it was going to be released in color, I believe. So it's not like it was 
shot with the intention of it being black and white and then color added like it was you know shot in color so i still prefer the color version um but it, they're they're both they both have their merits that's an important distinction because what that tells you is that the way it was lit and the shot compositions were done as intended like it's yeah. not a compromised film is is i guess what we're saying there but i i would be very interested to check out the black and white cut because it parts of the subject matter and and like the way that the narrative plays out it it is reminiscent of like a b movie like a i don't know like a red scare era a b movie or something along those lines um so i, I can see where where he's coming from or wanting it to be black and white but also maybe it helps with some covering up some of the spotty effects work as well yeah yeah i mean i i watched it uh lizzie had never seen it and she she quite liked it um but we started watching it and it was kind of thing where she was just on the couch and was like half watching it. And she's, you know, like, oh, if I'm interested, I'll keep watching it sort of thing. Um, and she actually got up to go to the bathroom or something right at the tentacle scene. Oh. And uh, she came back like as soon as it was over. And I was like, OK, I don't have to because it's like I know it like it looks so bad. Like you show this movie to anybody who's never seen it. They're going to be like, oh, my gosh, it looks terrible. Like, you know, they're just going to comment on it. And I'm just like, let's just move past it. Let's just move past it. You know, the stuff, <laughs> you know, the spiders. So like some of that stuff is iffy, but, you know, it's everything else is like serviceable. It's, it really is. Those tentacles <laughs> are just like, I don't know. Like, yeah, they just, they are bad. You ever seen the behind the scenes footage before the CGI is applied to that shot? I'm sure I have, because I remember I, I, I did do a pretty deep dive on the DVD when I had it. This is some guy in like a green suit going <laughs> and there's like a, a blood bag that he just kind of like, like yeah, it's like yeah. he's sticking on a baby or something. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not not the best effect, but man, monsters, Brad, that's that's a tangent. Speaking of you could talk about this movie for two hours. I could talk about monsters for two mm -hmm. hours and we yeah. have already uh, via a previous episode. Um, but like. Am I? You feel free to correct me because you, you have your finger to the horror movie pulse quite a lot closer than I do. But do we not really get monster movies very often these days? Like, am I wrong on that? Yeah, I know you're 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 pretty spot on. They're pretty rare. Um, Like, I'm trying to even think of when we got any recently, like. Well, because in like in looking over streaming services lately, I've I've been having to lean on a lot of odd odd duck streaming services lately because I haven't had access to my Blu-ray player. The girlfriend's watching stuff <laughs> on the TV, the primary TV in the household. It's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so I've been like going to like Freebie and Tubi and Plex and all these all these wonky streaming services I don't normally go to, but. I go to their horror section and it's nothing but demons. It's all mm -hmm. fucking demons and occasionally ghosts. Mostly just demons, though. Just lots of demons and ghosts. And I'm like, where's the fucking monsters? Like, I, I had to reach into the Blu-ray pile to grab some monster movies because I couldn't fucking find any. It was really frustrating because it's like, this is something that I enjoy. And I know I'm not alone, but maybe it has something to do with production costs or maybe maybe people that design these things are hard to come by. Like if it's not a CGI creation, like if it's a prosthetic or an animatronic creation, I can't imagine there are that many people that work in those professions anymore. Like it's mm -hmm. 
it was niche. It's probably even more niche these days. And it's probably very, very expensive on top of that. And horror movies tend to be cheap. Uh, so maybe maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe there's a lack of talent working in those arenas. But yeah, I, for the life of me, I had I couldn't fucking find a monster movie on any of these services. I mean, the only ones I can find just through a quick Google search, um, we did have the Boogeyman this year, um, which was based on a Stephen King story as well. Um, and that is a monster movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't amazing, but, you know, it, there is a monster in it. And then uh, I guess A Quiet Place, the Quiet Place movies. I mean, those are technically aliens, but I would I would consider that a monster. Movie. Oh, yeah. yeah no, that, that, it's a creature. It's a, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a non-human entity that wants to rip your face off. Yeah. Yeah. That, that counts. So, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, those ones. Um, but, yeah, there hasn't been that many recently. And I do think the, the first Quiet Place, I, I think, is quite good. I think that is a really solid monster movie. I like the world building. Um, wasn't as crazy about the sequel. It was OK, but. Um, so that was that was a, a solid one, but yeah, um, there's that Neil Blomkamp, uh, no, not Neil Blomkamp, uh, Neil Marshall movie, uh, The Lair, which I believe is a monster. Haven't watched that one yet. Heard it's not very oh. good. Oh, um, I, I I've seen a handful of Neil Marshall films. Uh, he like he's he's not like a excellent filmmaker or anything. I'm sorry if he's listening. He's not. <laughs> but but he's he's done some good stuff. Like I think some, he's, he's excellent, Neil. If you're listening, I think you're excellent. <laughs> uh, the Lair did that come out this year? Uh, last year, I believe. Here, okay. uh, when Royal Air Force pilot Lieutenant Kate Sinclair is shot down over Afghanistan, she finds refuge in an abandoned underground bunker where deadly man-made biological weapons, half human, half alien, are awakened. I mean, so, I would I would put it on in the background and look yeah. up when I hear ripping and tearing. Uh, <laughs> I love you. I love you. I, I, I haven't seen this movie, but I'm just assuming the critics are wrong. Um, but the critics and the fans and pretty much everybody I know who's seen this movie has said it's not very good. But I know they're wrong, Neil, because we love you. We love you, Neil. <laughs> OK, we, we can get off of this. But uh, quick question. Um there's a Chloe Grace Moretz movie. Ah, yes. With the yes. Gremlin. <laughs> have Shadow you seen in the this? cloud. Yeah. Yeah. How is it? Haven't seen it. Uh, okay. No, neither have I. But I kind of I was like, that. I don't care about her. Like, she's not a selling point even a little bit. But it's a Gremlin in a period piece on an airplane. It's like mm, Gremlin on a plane. That mm, that that works for me. Not going to lie. I'm kind of interested as much as I know it's probably shit. I'm kind of interested. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. That's, I've heard that one's pretty good. I, I keep meaning to watch that one, but I haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Well, so. anyway. Uh, so where are we? Is it my pick now? Brad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's the mist. And I do. I love that cover art as well. It's some quality, like new commissioned art. I have to say, I like that. I do like it here. I'll give you the single. Um, I do like that. Um, I do like that they put the the tentacle thing in there because it it gives it that Lovecraftian vibe that all the kids are into or have been into for a while now. Maybe he's mm-hmm. old hat these days, but kid kids love Lovecraftian shit. Um, but I'm not gonna lie, the original cover from within the grocery store, I I've always really liked that cover. Like I agree, poster. but that I, is a good one. I do like one... I do like that. It just it doesn't feel like it doesn't really make sense why they're in like a town. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, like, no, because that's such a small portion of the movie. Yeah. But, but, you know, it gets the message across. It's great marketing. Like, it looks provocative and it doesn't lie to you either. Like, those no. are all things that are in the film. Yeah. So, you yeah. Know, that is a that is a solid new newly commissioned artwork uh, for, for a very good film. Uh, OK, so uh, after all that yelling about fucking monsters, uh, I suppose it's only appropriate that I talk about a monster fucking film. Uh, so gonna keep it short and sweet i guess uh <laughs> this i don't have like a, a treatise on this like I, don't, I can't write a fucking novel about this but uh i have here a movie that i saw when i was very young and i still like it to this day in fact it played a little bit better uh as an adult honestly uh if i'm like this viewing anyway uh from the last time i watched it but i have here stan winston's Pumpkinhead. On Blu-ray from Scream Factory. Uh, this is not the brand fucking new uh, 4K that very recently came out. Um, but I, I think I'm going to stick with my Blu-ray. Like as much as I enjoy Pumpkinhead, as much as I've watched Pumpkinhead, I don't think I need the 4K. The The Blu-ray is quite good. Although weirdly enough, I don't know if you've ever seen this on Blu-ray, Brad. Maybe, maybe if you have, you can fill me in on this. But the opening few minutes of this movie kind of looked like shit. Like, it, it does look like shit, uh, to quote Waterworld. Yeah. Um, something about the, the orange lighting, like like the fireplace lighting of some of the figures, whenever they're in motion, maybe it's my TV, maybe it's my 4K player. But uh, man, I was getting some nasty smearing, like like after image smearing that just muddied everything to the point that it was very difficult to make out like human faces as they're walking around the cabin and stuff. It clears up when we get to daytime and the lighting changes, like the lighting scheme turns more naturalistic. But like the first couple of minutes, I was actually like reaching for the I was reaching for the remote to like pull the disc out. And like I was worried. Like I was like, oh, shit. Like, do I have a lemon or something? <laughs> like, like, what the fuck happened here? Like yeah. this, something is dreadfully wrong. This ain't my pumpkin head. Hashtag not my pumpkin head. <laughs> you were about ready to actually upgrade to the 4K. You're like, I, I was. This is I, a sign. I, pulled, I, pulled, I pulled up Blu-ray.com on my fucking phone as yeah. the movie was playing within the first few minutes because I was considering it. I was like, I know that just came out on 4K. Like, what's the score comparison between their old Blu-ray and the new 4K? And it's like, oh, they gave like the blu-ray like four out of five apparently it's great not in the first few minutes on my desk but anyway um but the the 4k for what it's worth uh, apparently it is like a five out of five in terms of image quality uh, it's got glowing reviews on blu-ray.com so maybe worth an upgrade not paying fucking 30 dollars for fucking Pumpkinhead. no uh, maybe if it's like the the entire collected works of Pumpkinhead, including the shitty sci-fi channel sequels yeah um but not just for a Pumpkinhead. Uh, anyway, uh, I did see this movie. I think the first time I saw Pumpkinhead, uh, I was probably in like middle school or something. And there was some fucking kid, like one of my friends in school, who was hyping up Pumpkinhead. Like he was obsessed with Pumpkinhead. He kept saying that word. And I was like, I don't know what a Pumpkinhead is, but I need it. <laughs> and he was hyping it up. It turns out he was talking about the second movie the whole time. Like he didn't even see the first Pumpkinhead. He saw really? Pumpkinhead 2, Blood Wings. And he was like, yeah, Pumpkinhead shows up and he rips this fucking guy's head off. He didn't say the F word because we were like young enough that like that was still kind of taboo. Mm -hmm. He was like, yeah, he tears his head off and there's like chunky spaghetti sauce coming out of his neck hole. <laughs> and he was like, it's fucking cool. And I was like, sold this is a big is a big fucking monster no description 
of what Pumpkinhead looked like. So I went into the thing blind. I had no idea what to expect. It turns out we weren't even talking about the same movie. I ended up seeing Pumpkinhead 1 when he skipped to 2. Pumpkinhead 1's better, by the way. Um, <laughs> although Pumpkinhead 2 has a legendarily bad video game attached to it, Brad. Have you heard about this? No, I didn't know there was a big... I had no idea. Sorry for the, the, the Jay Leno drop there. Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Pumpkinhead 2 Blood Wings has a... It's it's like a PC game or something that there's a lot... There's like old YouTube reviews of it. It's this legendarily horseshit game that has the most baffling ending ever because like the, the gameplay mechanics of it are completely busted such that it's it's basically impossible to beat the game without a guide. And then you get to the end of the game and you're rewarded with a, like a 10 second clip of some asshole in the pumpkin head two costume dancing around to like some old timey song. And he's wearing like air Jordans. Cause like they, the, apparently that was a separate component of the costume because like they had like stilt legs for the leg portion of the costume. So mm -hmm. it's just some asshole with these rubber arms dancing around like pumpkin head. It's like, <laughs> you mean I wasted six hours of my life playing this busted ass game and that's what I get for wow. you. Anyway, I like pumpkin head. Uh, I rewatched it very, very recently. I was feeling in the Halloween spirit. And as I said, I was having a hell of a time tracking down monster fucking movies, which is what I want during the Halloween season. Uh, so I just had to reach onto the shelf for something I, I had already seen, something I was already very familiar with. Um, but I had a very good time. with it. It's simple. It's straightforward. Uh, it's Stan Winston. Um, at the peak of his powers uh, and apparently his his clout too in in the studios because this was his first uh, direct this was his directorial debut in addition to you know working on the animatronics and makeup effects and whatnot um, but there's a lot to like um, pretty solid soundtrack actually um, really excellent effects and lighting and cinematography obviously being as it's Stan Winston at the helm um, really great witch actually like, like in terms of like traditional straight down the middle portrayals of of a witch, like like stereotypical witch on film, it might be one of my favorite representations of like a like a standard hag witch. Something about the orange lighting and there's two camera angles in particular that they use in the film that just showcase the makeup so beautifully. The 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 front like the head on shots of that lady look like shit. Not gonna lie. But in profile, in close-up, she looks incredible. Uh, really one of my favorite witches on film, and I'm not even a fan of witches. But yeah, uh, this is a fun little slasher slash monster movie. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, not super heavy on the gore, but if you just want to watch a big rubbery monster dude like beat up some teenagers uh, and watch Lance Henriksen like, be kind of a cool guy like not not he's not there to like creep you out he's just mostly kind of a nice guy <laughs> um he could do a lot worse uh but yeah brad uh pumpkinhead any any thoughts yeah i uh i also like pumpkinhead it's been a while since i've seen it um i do have the blu-ray it was actually um like one of if probably not the first but one of the first uh scream factory blu-rays i bought um, and, uh, yeah, I, I need to go back to it from what I remember, like, you know, it's called pumpkin head and obviously, you know, it's good to watch at this time of year cause it's a horror movie. It's a monster movie, but you know, even though it's called pumpkin head, it's not like 
necessarily like as how as Halloweeny. Like it's not it doesn't take place around Halloween or anything. Like it's the pumpkin head is a little bit of a misnomer, right? Uh, yeah, it, it, there's no mention of October or the Halloween season. Uh, the, the only thing, like even his shape really isn't really evocative of a pumpkin. Although if you see like the back of his head, it does kind of look like a rotten pumpkin a little bit, but that's so minor. Like that's, that's just like bullshit. Um, yeah, but like really it's just, he comes from a pumpkin patch, I guess is, is the thing. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not actually a Halloween film as far as I know. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, it's a good one. And I do also have uh, Blood Wings and I've never watched it. Oh, shit. So, uh, yeah, I might have to give this one a poke, too. Yeah. Uh, just remember, it's it's direct to video. Uh, they did not have Stan Winston uh, or K&B effects working for them. As far as I know, um, that would be like Tom Woodruff and whatnot, like the, the aces over there at K&B or no, not K&B amalgamated. Excuse me. Amalgamated Dynamics, I think, is Tom Woodruff's group. K&B is uh, Greg Nicotero. It, it looks like K&B did the facts for this one. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So they at least got that. Well, they didn't bring their A game or they no. weren't paid, or they weren't paid well enough because, uh, yeah, it's not it's not the best. The pumpkin head looks too dry. Uh, his face looks kind of mushed like he looks like a like like a pug, like a dog. <laughs> like He's got yeah. kind of a smushed face. And yeah, he's too dry, like like um. Funny enough, the person who left a comment earlier, I believe that was Chase Keys from the Snescapades podcast. Um, I think they were the one who introduced me to the, the phrase wet puppets, um, which is very, very useful because that is an important distinction. Like, it's like, I got to have these puppets wet, man. These mm -hmm. puppets got to get wet. It's like, I'm not having a good time unless these puppets get wet. And Pumpkinhead is a wet puppet. Pumpkinhead 2, Blood Wings, that, that puppet ain't wet. <laughs> no, he is he is distinctly lacking in moisture and and it really detracts from the experience uh it is slightly more violent though if memory serves uh they fuck up the narrative like they they make him well i guess i i won't uh oh hey chase keys is still here <laughs> i'm just about to mention wet puppets wet puppets are always worth talking about yeah <laughs> it's like every conversation should veer into wet puppet territory eventually <laughs> um but yeah, I, I seem to remember the gore factor being a little bit higher uh, in Pumpkinhead too. Like I said, there's a depacketation in there, at least one. Um, but they do kind of like fuck up the narrative and they do some stuff with the character that's like, I don't need that. <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't need us to. It's not like unseemly. Like it's not like ugly or anything. It's just I don't, I don't need that story for Pumpkinhead. It's like, let's just keep it simple. Like that that's why I like Pumpkinhead one so much is that it's it's just a vengeance tale. It's just about like like be careful what you wish for. Uh, you might summon a pumpkin head and it might fuck up your life. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean stacked cast though in Pumpkinhead too. You got some horror royalty in here. Like uh do. yeah. Linnea Quigley is in here. Yeah. And uh apparently Kane Hodder is in here as well. I did not know that uh, last time I saw that movie, I was very young. I wouldn't have known who that was. But these days, Kane Hodder, he, he's back. He's does the he, man behind the mask. Does he play Pumpkinhead or something? Is that maybe what? Like, maybe a... not sure, but that is a common thing. in a lot of his his on screen appearances like in Jason Goes to Hell, he's on screen in that film. I don't think he played the wishmaster unless he was doing like wishmaster stunt work but he's also on screen in that film yeah um yeah. 
But yeah, I didn't know he was in there. But uh, there's a Clinton in that movie, by the way. <laughs> it's like Bill Clinton's uh, cousin or something. I forget his name, but I, I can confirm there is a Clinton in the film. <laughs> and uh, what's his face from uh, Dirty Harry and uh, Hellraiser is all he's the main character. It's really weird seeing him in that role because he always plays fucking weirdos and creep guys. But he's like a nice dad. In that movie. It's, yeah. like, it's like maybe he just was relishing the opportunity to just be a normal fucking guy for a change. It's like yeah. this never happens. Casting directors yeah. never come to be to be a good dad. Yeah, I'll to I'll check it out just to see the Clinton uh, performance. Like, I mean, what a what a legacy <laughs> that family has. I mean, president of the United States and co-star of Pumpkinhead, too. I mean, I think I he love plays it. the mayor in it, if memory serves. I think <laughs> that makes I think sense. All right. All right. That makes sense. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's enough about wet puppets and pumpkin head. Unless you want to continue the, the wet puppet discussion, Fred. What is your no, next no, no. Halloween Havoc pick? Well, I'll mention uh, another movie I watched <laughs> this month. Uh, I watched a 4K. I watched uh, a 4K of a film that uh, this was a first time watch for me, actually. Um, I watched Two Evil Eyes, Two Evil Eyes, directed by George Romero and Dario Argento. Holy shit. Horror royalty collaborating on this movie, and uh, it ends up being okay. Um, <laughs> so I think uh, I read somewhere that originally, I think Argento was the one who conceived of this film. And I think originally he wanted there to be four like directors working on this like it's an anthology film and i think he originally wanted john carpenter and there was some maybe wes craven maybe there was somebody else he wanted as well um and i don't know why that didn't yeah Um, i I don't know why it didn't work out maybe john carpenter had lakers tickets or something um (laughs) makes sense but um romero was the only one who called him back i guess because you know they had a a little bit of a dawn. They worked on Dawn of the Dead together. So Romero was like, oh, all right, I guess I'll throw Argento a bone and make this uh, shitty Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. It's that, it's that friend that you need to put in FaceTime with every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Just because like it's ne- exactly. nobody actually wants to keep this this friendship organism alive any longer. Yep. It's just you, you got to do it every once in yeah. a while. It's a trip. Yeah. We hate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so they get together and they put uh, they each do. And it's basically each story is an hour long adaptation of an Edgar Allan Poe tale. Um, if I, let's, let's see if I can remember. Nope. Uh, it's on the back here. Uh, George Romero does an adaptation of the classic uh, story. The facts in the case of Mr. Valdemar. Trevor, I know you're familiar with that. Big fan. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. And then Argento does an adaptation of The Black Cat. Um, and basically Romero's story, it's kind of weirdly overly complicated. So um, this woman <laughs> has married this elderly man who is rich. You know, got to do what you got to do. And uh, he is on his deathbed. And basically she has a lover who is a doctor, but also a hypnotist. And he is hypnotizing the the elderly man on his deathbed to basically sign away his entire estate to 
her, his wife, which first it's like, I kind of get it. Like, okay, you know, it probably, it's like not everything would go to his wife, but it's also like, you know, you're probably going to get a pretty, like, it seems like this is an overly complicated thing where it's like, you know, once he dies, you're going to get like, you're going to get quite a bit for the, like you're his wife, you would, but whatever. Okay. Um, and basically they hypnotize him. And so he's like sign, he's signing these documents and like the, the, his lawyer calls him and he's like, are you sure you want to send everything to your wife? And he's hypnotized. So he says, yes, send everything to my wife. I'm dying. <laughs> and, uh, they have him hypnotized and, you know, her and her lover, are just like, you know, this, they're like, this is hot. My husband is on his deathbed. He's hypnotized. So they go in the other room to, you know, have some fun. And, uh, the old man dies. He dies. And Trevor, you know what happens when you, you die, when you're hypnotized, right? You shit your pants, you shit your pants. And then you come <laughs> back as a ghost because you were hypnotized. You don't want to die while you're hypnotized. And so basically, because the f- paperwork hasn't gone all the way through, they have to uh, stick the body in the freezer for a few days to, uh, you know, so nobody knows that he's dead so they can get this paperwork through. Um, and so then he basically, his body comes back from the dead and haunts them. And, you know, it's a morality thing and whatever. <laughs> that story's okay. But the Argento one is actually great. So it's an adaptation of the black cat. And I- I'm really not familiar with any of these stories, but, it's also like he's adding in elements of like some other Poe stories. Like there's an element of the pit and the pendulum and uh, the telltale heart is also in here as well. And Harvey Keitel is the main character in the black cat. And the story is so bonkers and so over the top. And Harvey Keitel, he is like turned up to 11 in this movie. And I absolutely love it. Like if you want to see unhinged Harvey Keitel, (laughs) highly recommend checking out two evil eyes because he is great. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag. Um, I think Tom Savini did the effects and uh, they're pretty good. And, uh, it's a little long, you know, each story is like an hour. Like it probably could be like each one 45 minutes would probably be good. Um, but, uh, I had, I had a pretty good time with it. It was a, it was a good watch. Looked great on the blue underground 4k. And, uh, kind of like uh slowly it's been taking me a long time like over the course of years but trying to watch all of argento's stuff so um this one here and as i move past this one we get into his late era films and that's where it gets uh really dicey from what i understand um but he's still he's still killing it in this one i still i loved his story in this yeah it sounds like he was kind of the saving grace of the production in some ways yeah um, but yeah, I have heard late era Argento is th- this guy is not my kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, in particular, the Dracula movie. I've, I've seen some clips. I think there's a giant praying mantis at some point. Why? I don't know, but it's there. <laughs> That's what I've heard. And I'm like, why is that bad? This sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of sound amazing from a certain point of view. Yeah. Now, Brett, would you mind holding up the case one more time? Yeah, because every time feel free to disagree, but every time I see this cover and for some reason it is often like every time I go to Blu-ray.com, this this fucker pops up the the zomboid fella on the bottom half. Tommy Lee Jones. For some reason, I keep thinking that's Tommy Lee Jones. You know, I, I can see that. I can see that for sure. 
something about the the brow ridge and even even the angle of the face a little bit but mostly just that brow ridge it's weird because i i'm trying to like i guess it's hard to say for sure but i'm pretty sure this is what's her name adrian barbeau or however you say her name who is the main character of the first one and so you'd think this would be Harvey Keitel. I don't think this is Harvey Keitel because he's never like a corpse in the movie. Oh. So I'm I'm thinking this is her husband that they stuff in the freezer. So it's it's interesting that there's two images on this from the first story, I guess. Huh. Well, I guess they needed to go with something to sell the movie. Uh, yeah. A marketing thing or something. But I I haven't seen the film, so obviously I don't have anything to say about it. And I actually knew virtually nothing about it. Like everything Brad just shared, um, that the, that was all news to me. But so- it sounds compelling. I mean, that just the talent involved is enough to give it a shot. Like if I saw that on Tubi or something and I didn't have anything better to do, I, you know, it's got a lot of talented people in it. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but just to take the conversation to other territory that maybe I have a little bit more to say about um how many anthologies did George Romero work on? Because it feels like a lot. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. So he did this. He did Creepshow. Um, is there any others? I'm trying to think. Was he involved in Body Bags? Because there was a lot of like big name horror talent involved in that. Even if they didn't direct on it, there was like cameos. Like Wes Craven's in there, if memory serves. I think Toby Hooper shows up at one yeah, point as well. Yeah, yeah. He might have had some involvement in that. I mean, ju- I mean, just the fact of like doing creep show and doing another, uh, you know, directing another segment in a horror anthology certainly feels like, you know, that's that's interesting in and of itself. Like this guy, like he I mean, hey, why not? I mean, your buddy Argento is doing all the legwork and getting this production off the ground. You just have to direct some old Edgar Allan Poe story. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I don't have a whole lot to say on the subject, but I have noticed that like that does seem like a format that maybe appeals to certain people, like especially um, I, I really, I'm a sucker for anthologies. I, I like that format, um, but I have noticed that there are some directors that seem to like gravitate towards those projects. Maybe mm-hmm. it has something to do with like the short film aspect of it. Maybe that appeals to them more. Maybe maybe it's the collaborative aspect. Maybe they have lots of friends that they just want an excuse to hang out with. Um, but like uh Katsuhiro Otomo, uh, the guy who did uh, Akira, uh, so much of his his animation work ended up being anthologies post Akira. Like he's he's done features since, but very seldom. It's like anthology, anthology, anthology. I always thought that was really interesting that he would choose to go that route after having this monumental work of sorts. Um, two evil eyes now it's kind of funny like actually having the mystery dispelled as to like what it actually is because i'm not lying brad that fucking cover pops up every time i go to that goddamn website maybe there's maybe they overproduce that disc or something and it's on sale constantly but i don't know what it is but that that tommy lee jones looking zombie motherfucker keeps looking at me and it's like who are you (laughs) what do you want from me now you know why it's called Two Evil Eyes. I mean, there you go. Um, I will say, <laughs> be aware that uh, anybody who uh, is not cool with animal death in movies, the black cat segment. Uh, I mean, I personally loved watching Harvey Keitel uh, try and kill a cat. Um, but uh, I mean, that's not for everybody. Um, yeah. 
Is it a Tales from the Dark Side that has the the killer cat in it? I f- I think it's that one. I've it, never seen it. it. I know there's Cat's Eye as well. That's not a killer cat, but it's my Brad. I, I made a uh, Halloween playlist. Uh, it consists of '80s uh, horror movie like music and songs from '80s horror movies. Um, and uh, the Cat's Eye theme song is most assuredly on that playlist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that movie when I was pretty young. I think it was like a Joe Bob Briggs thing on like. TNT Monster Vision or some shit, but yeah, Cat's Eye is a fun one. Uh, it's a fun but, one, yeah. I, yeah, I like the stories in there. I, I, I don't remember if I like the adaptation of it, but I love the actual story of uh, Quitters Inc. or whatever, the smoking one. Yeah, that that's like one of the better shorts too. Yeah. I, I haven't read the, the source material. Like if like if Stephen King in fact wrote a Quitters Inc. story, he did. Yeah, and okay. I I don't remember which one I l- liked. I, I maybe I like them both. I don't know, but just like I would, that story stands out in my mind is like that's a that's a good one. That's good. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the standout segment of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the the one with the bet, like the the compulsive gambler guy, is is like as a kid it was pretty intense. And then, yeah. And then the mm-hmm. last one's kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> yeah. And that one is not from any story i believe of stephen it, king's so yeah it, it felt out of left field but, but some cool effects in there as well i mean got yeah that some, at least. some cool miniature effects like like man in rubber monster costume on a giant yep. set like there's some creativity and stuff and also the the way the the little goblin feller meets his end mm-hmm. is pretty fucking spectacular yeah. uh spoiler he gets flung into a like a i think it's a standing fan yeah and yeah. he gets splatted. It's pretty great. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up. This is backtracking a little bit, but um, we had recently talked about the gate. Yeah. And I uh, think that uh, there's a reference to the gate in the mist. I could be wrong, but do you remember the scene in the pharmacy where the um, the MP is caught in the spider's web and he, he falls down and a bunch of little spiders come out of him? Yeah. Like having watched the gate, that is pretty close to the, you know, the effect of the what what I was it. I don't even remember what it was, but the thing falling over and it turned into the demons. Yeah, it turns into the little yellow demon guys. Like it could a be a very intentional homage. I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, horror, like as much as I'm largely detached from the horror community, um, horror is probably the genre where it, it you're most liberated you're most free to explicitly just wear your influences on your sleeve and mm-hmm. nobody objects to it like yeah. other other genres it seems like people are more quick to like call foul and say like, oh that, that's lift that shot's lifted from some other movie from 60 years ago that's bullshit it's like do something creative whereas horror it's like they seem in general people seem to celebrate it where it's like i understood that reference and i appreciate it mm-hmm. um so yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Frank Darabont maybe worked with some of the people who worked on the gate. Although That's true. Yeah. Gate was an extraordinarily Canadian production. So <laughs> I don't know how often he worked in Canada, if ever. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, just the the spectrum of effects work that went into the gate, I wouldn't be surprised if he worked he crossed paths with some of those technicians in, in some form or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh two evil eyes. Uh, from Argento and Romero. Not the sum of its parts, as far as I can tell. Although it sounds like Argento did his part. Like, Romero, you were asleep at the wheel. 
<laughs> Go back yeah, to was, zombies. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of he he, phoned, he might have phoned it in. He 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 spent all his creative juices on Creep Show. He phoned it in. Well, like I said, he was probably like this fucking guy, yeah. <laughs> like, like Dario again. Yeah, all right, Dario. Just, I'll do. He just something. keeps calling. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I got it. I got to do it's honey. I, I'm sorry. I got to go to Italy and work for Dario. It's got to happen. Eventually, he called him. He said, George, George, John and Wes are out. I need you, George, please. <laughs> All right. Fine. On the phone, he's doing one of the... No, I'm sure they had a lovely relationship. Yeah. yeah I... Like, you know, not ever. No, but we can't always give our best you know, as much as we'd like to. Uh, so, Brad, uh, I don't know where I'm going to go next. That's, again, very difficult for me to follow up. Um, so I'll give you a choice. Uh, games. That That is video games. Excuse okay. me for my shit pronunciation. I'm tired. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> or speculative fiction. Ooh. Video games or speculative fiction? What are we? Going I gotta, I'm just curious. I got. Go I don't have a wheel. Fiction. I know you have a wheel. You yeah. you put up the money to purchase a fucking wheel for your show. I don't have one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I spend my money on Blu-rays and little yeah. plastic robot models. Yeah, you see them kind of appear. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I'm going speculative fiction. I'm speculative fiction. It is. I gotta We're see where this it. takes We're us. We're doing it. Okay. So I I knew you were gonna pick that. <laughs> this fucking guy uh so speculative fiction is the selection uh so i have here uh something that's difficult to talk about not in that the subject matter is difficult or anything it is it's it's just an arcane subject to me um it's one that relies on some foundational historical knowledge that if you don't have it and i don't um, for the most part, anyway, maybe a little bit more than some people. But if you don't have it, it can be kind of impenetrable, it can be difficult to get invested in. So I have here two separate titles, one of which is on DVD. Uh, so, Brad, get your uh, barf bag ready. It is coming out on Blu-ray. If not, uh, it may have already come out. Um, so I have here uh, Tokyo, the last megapolis. And doomed megapolis the mega omnibus edition which uh this uh painterly cover here is uh illustrated by noriyoshi orai uh who is a now deceased uh japanese painter who did all sorts of lovely book covers and posters for a lot of really not so great uh works for the most part but his artwork was always superb i actually own a couple of uh art books of his um, unfortunately, I didn't learn his name until he passed away. That's actually how I learned his name. Uh, somebody wrote an article about his passing, and I was like, oh, that's that guy's name. He he did all the Godzilla movie posters from the 90s and the 80s and stuff. Um, anyway, Tokyo, the last megapolis. Uh, this is based on a very lengthy series of Japanese novels. Uh, that are speculative fiction that it takes place over like a century, essentially. And the, mm -hmm. there's a huge number of these novels, none of which I believe have ever been translated into English. So I don't have access to them. Um, and Doomed Megapolis is a 90s uh, animated adaptation of the same source material, but a slightly different chapter of it. And also the tone has been shifted slightly where it's there's a lot it's a lot racier like there's a lot more violence and a lot more nudity and so it was the 90s and it's japanese animation it, what do you expect um anyway uh this deals with like turn of the century japan and 
basically it's speculative fiction in that a lot of the characters, like the cast of characters in the story uh, are actual Japanese historical figures. A lot of the technology and like the architecture and the city planning that is talked about endlessly in this movie and this anime um, is all based in fact to some extent. Um, but there's also um, Onmyoji uh, featured very prominently uh, in the storytelling. Onmyoji are basically like like Shinto, like magicians or sorcerers in in Japanese culture, um, that in in old, like in a bygone age, they they act as like like viziers for for people of high societal status and stuff. And there's a lot of superstition surrounding them. And in fiction, they're often amplified to like full blown like wizard fucking status. So it's Japanese equivalent of like a wizard, basically. Um, so it's like a battle. Uh, between good and evil, between a guy who wants to like obliterate the city of Tokyo um, and the Onmyoji who are protecting the city. Um, all sorts of crazy magical shenanigans happen. Uh, they weave uh, in actual historical events into the narrative, such as the, the Great Kanto Earthquake, which was a huge natural disaster that basically leveled the city of Tokyo. Um, they actually like give a they weave that into the narrative. It's like it was fucking magic. <laughs> like it was black fucking magic that caused the earthquake that killed the ancestors of many, many people who are probably watching this fucking movie. <laughs> um, but this was a super high budget production by Japanese standards. Um, and in fact, you can see it advertised on the cover here. Conceptual designs by H.R. Giger. Mm. Um, okay. So they they recruited from overseas. They recruited overseas talent for this. Yeah. Film. So a lot of money and time and effort was thrown into this. Mm -hmm. um, watching it as a non-Japanese viewer is a little tricky. Uh, you'll find that a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the concepts uh, and a lot of the historical factoids just go sailing directly over your head. And the movie has no time to explain any of it to you. Uh, but it has some pretty cool imagery. Uh, the effects work is legitimately fascinating to look at. Um, some pretty good performances. I forget the name of the... Uh, the actor here that's showcased on the cover but uh he does an excellent job uh, portraying the villain and he's done so in many other japanese productions a pretty decent voice actor on top of that in fact i believe he uh resumes the role for the animated version um but yeah i i've long been fascinated with this particular story in fact there is another live action film um that has never been released in our region however when i saw this film uh, recently get a Blu-ray release uh, listed on the Blu-ray.com calendar. It got me thinking, well, they put out the animated version. They're going to put out this one. Maybe we'll get that next one. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm enough of, of dumbass that I will probably end up buying it and watching it and probably not understanding it. Yeah. But I really, really, really want to. And, you know, even, th even though it's not a wholly satisfying experience to subject yourself to those things, Sometimes, sometimes you just want to give it a look anyway, and that's kind of my relationship with those. Is that I'll, I'll never fully understand them, but they're they're interesting enough, they're compelling enough that I I'm drawn to them on some level. I, oh, excuse me, <laughs> Tim Horton's going down wrong. Um, <laughs> I love, you know, jump on the mic or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love the artwork on the uh, the anime yeah. Blu-ray. Yeah, like. That is striking. I love that. Oh, yeah. No, this was a classic VHS cover uh, in many regions, but like specifically like at, at uh, 
my local blockbuster. This like we had a handful of Japanese animated films available to us at my local video store. And you better believe they had this one front and center because that image is compelling. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know what that is, but I'm, I am interested enough to open that book or put on that movie. Um, And yeah, I, I checked it out when I was pretty young and I checked it out as an adult. Still don't fucking get it, Uh, (laughs) but it's, it's serviceable. It's okay. Yeah. Are they, are, are the movies like, visually striking like the covers suggest or yeah uh the the special effects work in the live action one is it's a grand spectacle both of them are tinged with horror elements in particular the animated version does lean pretty heavily into it there's a lot of possession and and a lot of like demon shit going on and like i said there's a lot of uh magic being tossed around between both like good and evil forces um, and yeah, there, there's a little bit of creature effects as well. Um, some like insect type critters and what, as you would expect from HR Geeker being involved yeah, in the yeah. live action in particular, but it's, it's also in the animated version as well. But yeah, they're, they're both kind of horror stories that they're not like always like dialed in, like dialed up to 11 in terms of the horror content, but it kind of like tinges the entire experience with, with some elements of like creeping terror and, and horror. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be mostly interested to check it out, certainly for the H.R. Giger element. I mean, is is there a lot of that stuff in there? Not a whole lot, um, but what, what's there is executed pretty well. Some neat sound stages on top of that. Like the production design, it, it is there. Like, like yeah. it did spend money on it, and you can tell. Like the money is on the screen, as they like to say. Um, so yeah, from a visual standpoint, that is something that, that makes it like... It doesn't set you completely adrift, I guess, where it's like for the girlfriend, I know that's a problem where it's like if she can't engage with the narrative, she can't engage like she checks completely the fuck out. For yeah, me, though, yeah. as evidenced by our viewing uh, between she and I of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, that was a rough watch, Brad. I don't know if you've ever watched that with with your gal, but um, that was a rough watch. Like I could I could feel her disengaging from the film. Like, really? Like, it lost her like she was like i don't i don't think anybody knows what the fuck this is yeah. <laughs> and i was like you're not wrong but it's beautiful look at it and she's yeah. like yeah i don't fucking care like these aren't characters these are it's just pretty pictures and sounds i was like exactly it's a fucking painting <laughs> and she's like oh, this doesn't work for me pal that doesn't work for me brother <laughs> well you know that's that's how it goes sometimes but I, yeah it, i it's love a, that movie it's a di- it's a different yeah, so do i I love that movie, even though it, it really doesn't have a whole lot to offer in terms of narrative and characterization. It's just yeah. it's just really pretty. It's just pretty. <laughs> it's, it's lights with sound, but it's really high quality lights with sound. And sometimes for me, that that's enough. Um, I, I do think that movie has a little bit more to offer than that, for sure. But these movies are mostly lights with sound for me because they, they do kind of give zero fucks about explaining anything to you. It's like, if you don't have a foundation in Japanese history, like turn of the century Japanese history, we're not going to help you. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. well, hmm, not exactly a historian over here, but I'll, I'll give it to my best. Yeah, you're not totally selling me on it, but uh, no, you know. <laughs> nor am I trying to. I was kind of hoping you'd pick video games, but you know, you, you gave me an anthology and I didn't have one. So I'm, I'm trying my best to keep pace with you. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, what is your more conventional Halloween Havoc pick, Brad? Well, let's go. Let's go quite. Let's go real conventional on this one. Um, and one that is a Halloween movie, actually, not the franchise, but it does take place on Halloween. Um, came out last year. I've only seen it the one time, but I do own it now. Uh, I've got Terrifier 2. Oh. Terrifier 2. Which, um, I did, you know, the hype around Terrifier 2 and Terrifier last year was building. And I said, I gotta see what this Art the Clown schmuck. I gotta see what this guy's all about. So I did watch, I think it's All Hallows Eve that he's first in. Yeah. Um, and then I did watch the first Terrifier. And the All Hallows Eve is rough. Like it isn't. I mean, it's low budget, obviously, but even knowing that, it's like yeesh, not good. Um, the first Terrifier is okay, but, but again, it's very low budget, and you can tell it's like really holds it back. Not saying Terrifier Two was like you know, you know, we don't have like Ridley Scott producing. Like we don't we don't have much of a budget, but. They definitely just, uh, you know, expand the scope in that there's more locations um, and it's just it's a much more dynamic and interesting film. It's it's too long. It, that is it, it is way too bloated, like especially when you get to like the last half hour. It's like, all right, let's just wrap this up. Holy crap. But I do really like the character of Art the Clown. Like it's pretty rare where we get a new like iconic slasher horror villain and art the clown is pretty great i actually i think what makes him great is because you know obviously these films like the violence is just turned up to a ridiculous degree but i also like that art the clown himself is quite comedic like there are mo moments in terrifier 2 that are legitimately funny involving art the clown um just in terms of like him being a clown that's also you know like a mime like a silent clown like there's some there's some good sight gags involving him and uh yeah it, it it's you know it's just a, it's a nice throwback slasher it is extremely violent uh i and i you know i kind of like that that's that's its thing it, it's willing to go and just turn it up as much as possible um and uh, yeah, it, it's a fun one. I, li I like the main girl in it. I think she was a good final girl. And um, I, I'm excited for Terrifier 3. I'm curious to see where they go. I hope they trim the fat a little bit. Like, you know, these this, these movies should not be more than two hours. So like, let's get they, they, really this should not be more than 90 minutes. But over two hours is like insane. Like, let's let's get real here. But um, I do. I did have a good time with this film. It, it was it was a nice surprise. Yeah, no, we actually reviewed that one uh, for Catching Up on Cinema uh, because uh, Kyle, my regular co-host here at Catching Up on Cinema, he uh, he is the horror head between the two of us. Like you, I would love you and him to to do an episode or just have a chat someday, just the two of you, because you you both have a stronger connection to horror cinema than I do. Mm -hmm. um, I I can have these conversations. I have my passport stamped in horror world. Yeah, quite quite often, but it, I don't live there. Like I don't have a permanent residence in in yeah. Horror Land. Um, but yeah, I, we were both curious because that was when the the Terrifier Two was raking in cash at the box office. It was it was during the dark times when movies weren't really in theaters very often. I think, and on top of that, it was a ultra low budget film. 
uh, that was only showing in a handful of screens, but the audience turnout uh, was incredible. Um, and the word of mouth, which counts for everything uh, in, in low budget film uh, or anything, really, like word of mouth counts for so much, um, was glowing. Like, like people love that movie. Yeah. Um, so we were both intrigued. We were both like, I, you know, have you seen this? I was like, I, I saw part of All Hallows Eve like a few years ago, but no, I, I haven't seen the first Terrifier and I wasn't super interested in the second one because of that until all the word of mouth started pouring in. And yeah, we both checked it out. And was it Damien Leone, I think, uh, is the name of the director? Uh, like the mm-hmm. brainchild of the whole art, the clown cinematic universe. He's um, got some talent. Uh, and as far as I understand, he uh, he also works as a makeup effects technician and, and in fact, applies those skills to his films. Um, and it's very high quality stuff by the time you get to Terrifier 2. Like first one, it's a little iffy. I'll, I'll Hallow's Eve, even iffier. But Terrifier 2, they got to another level with it. And it's exceptional, ex- exceptional shit when it comes to bloodletting and gore on, on film. Uh, there's the runtime of that movie, as you said, is ludicrous. Um, they really, I don't know if he edited the film himself, but I suspect he may have, um, that might be something to adjust for the next film. Like maybe bring in an extra set of hands to help you with that. Cause yeah. you gotta, you gotta kill some of these darlings, buddy. Cause two like, hours who, plus for an art, the clown film. Fuck you. Who do you <laughs> think you are? Who do you think you are that you have the right to make this like, I mean, I like the movie quite a bit. Don't get me wrong, but I don't I, mean, I don't know the guy I've never met. But like he's got to have the highest opinion of himself. Like, I mean, it's just like, come on, like horror. Like if you're going over two hours for a horror film like this, better be some like all timer shit. And I'm not saying the movie's bad, but for a slash, especially for a slasher movie, I can't try to think of a slasher movie that justifies over two hours. Is there, I can't, I I can't think of one off the top of my head. They tend to be pretty lean, especially in the salad days of the eighties when it was, we were on the, the 10 minute scale. It's like, we got to have some tits. We got to have some blood tits and blood 10 minutes. You got, you can do whatever you want within those 10 minutes, like between those 10 minute portions, but every 10 minutes on the, on the clock, tits, blood, something. We got teenagers in the audience here. They got short attention spans. This is pre-internet too. But yeah, I two hours. Like, are any of the Scream movies two hours? I, I want to say they're probably like hour forty-five, hour forty-eight, probably. The first one's an hour forty. I'm pretty sure two yeah. is less than that. Even yeah, I don't think they go over two hours. Yeah, Wes Craven knows how to keep asses in seats man like he knows how to make a fucking film but yeah two hours plus it's like two hours 20 or some shit uh, it, it's too much it, like really it, it i both of us have said pretty good movie like i enjoyed it uh, brad did too apparently he owns it he paid for mm-hmm. it probably more than once um i don't own it <laughs> but i i did think it was pretty good as far as slasher movies go the the art the clown character is here to stay uh I don't know the name of the actor off the top of my head, but he has portrayed the character, I think, every time. Maybe maybe not like every time, but I think so. Um, he's doing a bang-up job with that character because he he it's entirely a mimed performance. It's all physical, but he is legitimately funny. He has a pretty consistent character. Um, and 
unbelievably expressive like the the way he uses his face and his body language is it's a joy to watch on screen and the kills and stuff and the gore as we said ultra high quality um, for the standards of the genre and the budget range especially that's punching way above its weight in terms of like what they're able to achieve from an effects standpoint with the, the how little money they're working with it's incredible um yeah just too fucking long um but yeah i am excited for the third one i will watch it definitely like I, what it's probably due out 2024 25 uh yeah i want to say it's next year yeah yeah um, no, I, I will check it out i i'm in i am on board i only slasher film i can find that is two hours or two hours plus off the top of my quick research here um uh deep red the original italian version is two hours on the nose apparently but on the nose even that got cut down for the u.s release yeah because 10 minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it was it was of that era like we were working on like producers and marketers were they stepped in they were like no but hey may, maybe that's maybe that's what terrifier is like like it is it's it's the boutique slasher where it's like we don't play by anybody's rules because we're playing with so little money that nobody cares anyway. And as far as like gorehounds go, they'll they'll never tire. Like we could make it five hours. They'll sit there like they'll they'll bring hot dogs into the theater. They'll bring a fucking trout into the theater. Be that asshole. <laughs> if it means getting as much fucking blood and gore on on screen for one viewing as possible. I'm praying Terrifier 3 is under two hours. Absolutely. Just please, please. I'm hoping that's the case, but I'm also kind of entertaining the idea of like, let's let's just keep pushing it. <laughs> it's like Terrifier longer. 3. Let's get up to three hours. If Why? I had to bet, I bet you it will, it will be longer. I'm, we're I we're operating on this, the Santino scale here. Yeah, so it can never be too long, Brad. Yeah, it can never be too. There can never be enough art. <laughs> A joke. Yeah, but... What a joke. <laughs> good movie, yeah, though. But... Good movie. Yeah, pretty good movie. Um, it goes into some weird territory with the storytelling, with the narrative. Like, there is some magical fucking realism going on with this story. Um, in fact, I use that I use that terminology, like, very specifically, because there's some elements to the logic of the narrative that do feel maybe influenced by something like that, where it's just like, it does like, we know it doesn't take place in our reality or make pure logical sense but you know if you're asking those questions you're watching the wrong fucking movie um yeah i will i will watch terrifier 3 definitely i'll probably review it too honestly ah but how's the uh, how's the 4k on that uh i haven't watched it yet actually um yeah might watch it this halloween maybe before the month's over but um i've only seen it the one time in theaters so far oh cool you got to see it in the theater Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I ended up watching it via streaming, but it, I'm glad I watched it. It was interesting. Um, you mind holding up the box one more time? Because that's not a cover art that I've seen elsewhere. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, interesting. Uh, some artwork there. Yeah, I I I really love the uh, the font of the two on the mm-hmm. Terrifier 2 logo. Uh, it's some there's something really familiar about it that actually reminds me. This is super obscure, but it reminds me of uh, some like uh, Japanese sci-fi films from like the late 80s, early 90s. Something about the like the purplish glow there. Yeah, that's 
that that's the traditional more uh, yeah cover art. traditional um i really love that cover art um mostly the the font and the yeah. and the, the use of like the the glow effect on the text is yeah it just feels right man um who put that out by the way uh that is a good question i actually don't know uh synodyme wow never yeah. heard of him. very okay. interesting okay let's go uh so uh i don't know where to go from terrifier 2 uh, i'm tempted to just check out and yeah i think i don't think i can follow up terrifier 2 that was a pretty interesting discussion uh, man, Brad, you kicked my ass. If this was a competition, you would have whipped my ass. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not. We're talking about art, folks. There ain't no winners in art. Unless yeah, you're really exactly. fucking good at art. <laughs> 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 um, so uh, at this point, I will say I'm going to put my hands up. I surrender. You, you win this round. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at this point, I'll say let's proceed to the speed round. Uh, so folks at home, uh, listeners and hopefully viewers, um, Essentially, what we're going to be doing here is uh, instead of having like a back and forth discussion at length, um, we'll just keep things brief and just kind of skim through whatever we set aside uh, to talk about today. Uh, so, Brad, uh, would you like to go first with the speed round or should I jump into mine? I have a lot, so it might be kind of long, so I don't want to bore you. That, that's not what I'm trying to do here. Brad. <laughs> hey, I mean, if you're ready, you can take it away. OK, well, let's proceed to the speed round. Uh, so as I said, I'm going to try to go through these pretty quickly. But yeah, feel free to interject at any point, Brad, if you have anything you want to say about these. Um, so uh, it would not be a catching up on cinema slash tales from the shelf discussion uh, if I did not bring up Scott Adkins. Um, he has, in fact, done horror films, Brad. Wow, uh, okay. A, a couple of them or a few of them, one of which I don't own and have not seen. Uh, I am still working on the project of acquiring and viewing all of Scott Atkins's films. Uh, maybe I'll do a video project on that when I whenever I complete that. Um, it's kind of hard when the band keeps working very regularly on top of that. Um, but uh, Stag Night is the one horror film I know of anyway that I don't have of his. But it's it's like a I think it, it's like a, a bachelor party that gets assaulted in like a subway or something by mm. some vagrants or something. And he's like one of the bachelor party guys or something i don't know much about it but that everything i just said is what i know anyway i have here re-kill re-kill um which despite that title um and by the way the eight films to die for thing i think this was part of a uh like a project where they they had a bunch of horror filmmakers i remember that yeah i can't remember what any of the movies were but i do remember that eight films to die for label yeah you maybe you know more about than i do then um, but yeah, apparently this was part of that. Uh, it falls under that umbrella. This is actually a decent movie. Uh, I was kind of surprised. Scott Atkins has a very small role in it. This was early days for him. Uh, it's basically a bunch of like, uh, it's, it's like a post-apocalyptic world where there's like a huge population of zombies and it's kind of a found footage or like a, it's, it's a reality television show in the film. So it's, you're watching, it's like, um, the news segments on Starship Troopers kind of. Uh, or or on RoboCop or any other Paul Verhoeven movie, basically. Um, but yeah, it's like a, a helmet cam, like reality TV show where they send soldiers into the zombie area to fight the zombies, basically, or do missions out in, in the field. And it consists of like interviews and like live combat uh, 
exercises on the part of the cast of characters. And Scott Atkins is just one of the soldiers. He's also a dick in it, which he's pretty good at doing. <laughs> like as nice as he seems in real life, um, he's pretty good at being a dick. Um, I also have Home Invasion here, starring Natasha Henstridge in the late two thousands or t- or twenty tens. Uh, this feels like a Daily Wire movie. I hope it's not. I don't think it is, but it totally has that that stink all over it. Where it's yeah. like people are going to kick your door down and steal your Blu-rays, Brad. They're they're it's like um Scrooged. Um, if you remember that movie, uh, the Freeway Killers <laughs> part, like the the scare tactics uh, mm. news program, mm-hmm. it feels like that. Where Jason Patrick plays like a not a life alert, but like an on-star guy, basically that's on the other end of the phone when Natasha Henstridge uh, is calling for help, and she has to like walk her through how to handle these home invaders. It's like Panic Room without a Panic Room. Um, but yeah, it's just like takes place in suburban America and there's mass killers that want you want to get your stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's shit. Like it's 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 shit. <laughs> anyway, moving on, I have a trio of Korean uh, monster film. Um, there's at least one more that I know of that I've never seen. It's called Cha. It's about a wild boar, like a giant boar. Uh, but I have here Project Wolf Hunting. Mm. Uh, which I think mm-hmm. I've talked to you. Uh, yeah, I've you've talked, talked about that one you. before. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a fun little like action thriller of sorts that turns into kind of a monster movie of sorts uh, late in the game. It's a fun little surprise. Very very bloody, not super gory, but really bloody. Like lots of red stuff is flowing all over the fucking place. Uh, the host, which is a very high quality film uh, featuring a uh, monster uh, as the catalyst for the plot, although it's about other things. It's a Bong Joon-ho film. Uh, Sector 7 in 3D, which I don't have access to, but uh, this movie's kind of dog shit. Um, some nifty uh, CGI effects by Korean standards of the day. Um, interesting concept for a monster. It's like an oil-eating monster on an oil rig, um, but mm-hmm. it, it devolves into just fucking stupidity. It, it gets too big and too loud and too dumb by the time you get to the final act. And there's virtually no gore like like the kills are shit so it mm. it fails on a lot of on a lot of levels um, yeah yeah john carpenter's the thing on blu-ray uh classic uh definitely something that i would consider watching anaconda because anaconda five dollar anaconda <laughs> hey that's a good price for that that's what i was willing to pay <laughs> um Invasion of the Body Snatchers from nice. Kino on 4K. Do you have this one, Brad? Uh, I only I don't have the Kino 4K. I have it on Blu-ray, though. Yeah, this is this is like five star cinema. Uh, it's, That's one of my favorites. Yep. It's, it's a great fucking film. My uh, my dad had me watch it when I was pretty young. Uh, I scared the shit out of me. <laughs> um, and I rewatched it on the 4K. I was very excited when it came out. And they did a bang up job with the disc. And the movie is still fucking great uh, it's great just watch it um Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> hell yeah it's it's a bimbo it has no substance but it's beautiful <laughs> um, fine by me uh you brought him up earlier John Landis an American world in London <laughs> 4k uh this is the arrow video super duper box set they their super duper box sets are a thing of beauty yeah um, that movie is really good like say what you will about 
the entire Landis fucking family. Because Max Landis is a dickbag, too. Yeah. They, like he's just, a, yeah. yeah I, what the fuck is wrong with the Landis's? But American Werewolf in London is a good movie. Um, I think anyway. Uh, Possessor, uncut uh, on 4K. I got to this movie several years too late to the game. I was very, very, very interested in this when it came out. But I didn't get to it until many years down the line. Until very recently. Probably 2022. And I have mixed feelings about it. I, I liked it quite a lot, but I, I feel like I need to rewatch it or something, or maybe it just didn't click with me. Mm-hmm. But um, Infinity Pool, I really do need to get around to seeing, though. I've heard, I think, from you, that's really, really good. I, I, I'm i in the minority, I think, but I'd have to rewatch them both, but I think I prefer Infinity Pool. I think the uncut version is, is it on physical media yet? Oh, yeah. I got okay. Somewhere. I got it somewhere in here. Okay, well, that's going to be how I watch it. And I will watch it because I'm Brandon Cronenberg. I'm I'm on board. Possessor I didn't love, but there was enough there that I was like, "Mm, yeah, I'll watch. I'll watch this guy's next work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. Uh, We covered this on Catching Up on Cinema. It's a Japanese animation about gothic vampire shit uh, with sci fi elements. Mm, Animation is real good. Kyle had zero appreciation for it. That was a difficult conversation. Um, but I love looking at that movie. Uh, the animation is so crisp. It's beautiful. And it came out in that era where they were still hand drawing and hand painting quite a lot of the cells. And fuck, it's crisp. Like It looks so good. Mm. Uh, Wicked City. Uh, this is a also a Japanese animated film. Uh, some really crazy imagery uh, and monster designs uh, seemingly influenced quite heavily by John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, it's fun little uh, demons living like in, in plain sight kind of noirish detective story of sorts where it's like it's like a buddy cop movie almost where there's like a, a human detective guy and he gets paired up with a demon lady and they fight. It's like Men in Black, but with demons kind of in modern day Tokyo. Uh, Dead Alive on DVD. Ooh. That's- now that's a DVD that I would 100% justify you pulling that off. That is the one you pulled out. I said, that is, go for it. Because that one, there's no Blu-ray. Or it's out of print if there was one. So, uh, Yeah, Kyle was looking into this a long time ago when we used to work together, which is seven, eight years ago or some <laughs> shit. Um, he was looking into the Blu-ray um, and it exists but it is crazy expensive and apparently dog shit quality. Yeah. Um, it, so I'm guessing it's out of print. Um, but yeah, this was actually very high on his list of things you would like to get a Blu-ray re-release at some point. Uh, but yeah, I picked this up at a, uh, at a swap meet uh, in Fremont in the Seattle nice. area. Good find. I saw, I saw it and I was like, that that's actually kind of a pricey DVD. Like as far as DVDs go, that's not a cheap one because it's yeah. not easy to find. Well. Uh, so I grabbed it. You finally got my approval on the DVD, so good job. <laughs> it took how many fucking years? Uh, Perfect Blue. It's a Satoshi Kon film. Uh, we did review it, although the audio got lost. Kyle's portion of the audio got dumped somehow, uh, so I had to re-record the whole episode by myself. Very good film. Darren Aronofsky definitely saw it. Uh, <laughs> the Attack on Titan films, a live-action adaptation of an anime I have not seen. Um, this is a uh, Hong Kong Blu-ray, uh, including both films. Some legitimately 
like unfun, unsettling imagery uh, in the opening portions of the first film. Uh, like the initial attack of the Titans um, is, I thought anyway, like very effective. I was like, this is this is nasty. Like, this is not fun. Like, this is bad shit happening to people that really don't seem to deserve it. Um, so I wouldn't recommend the movies, Brad, but maybe just look up that sequence because it's like mm-hmm. interesting effects work. Like they're still doing like man in rubber suit, like giant monster effects, but they're doing they're doing it via green screen quite effectively. Um, and it doesn't shy away from gore. Just say that much. Like there's quite a lot of bloodletting. Uh, body parts uh, from director Eric Red, who I thought of doing a project uh, on his works because um, I noticed a, a funny little thing in his filmography where he has done a Frankenstein, a Dracula or a vampire film in the form of Near Dark, which he wrote. He didn't direct that. Um, that's uh, James Cameron's uh, Catherine Bigelow, James Cameron's ex. Um, but Eric Red wrote that film. So he did Body Parts, which is a Frankenstein story, Near Dark, which he wrote, which is a vampire story. And he also did Blood Moon, which is a vampire movie. And I was like, it's kind of interesting that some some guy took it upon himself to kind of covertly do like a lot of the classic universal horror movies in modern day without ever saying those words in the movie. Um I was interested in maybe tackling that as a project someday for, for the podcast. Um, Ninja scroll, not really a horror film, but it's got some pretty cool uh, horror imagery for sure. And combined with the soundtrack, it has some horror vibes occasionally a cure for wellness. Um, Our boy gore. Uh, We've talked about this movie too many times, so I won't go into detail about it Uh, in the mouth of madness. Another John Carpenter pick a nineties, John Carpenter pick that doesn't suck. Uh, uncommon, uncommon among that filmography, uh, of unknown origin. <laughs> we also reviewed this for the podcast. Uh, if you're just to spoil the, the surprise, this is Peter Weller, AKA Robocop versus a rat, not a giant rat, just a rat. That's the film. <laughs> and we did a full length review of it, uh, from the director of, I think some of the Rambo movies, uh, Wolves. This is another movie that I wanted to cover for the podcast. That is, in fact, Jason Momoa on the cover, and the guy who plays Havoc in the uh, Matt, in the Matt Vaughn era of X Men films. And this is written, I believe, maybe directed, written and directed by David Hader. Which I hope Chase Keys is still in the chat because David Hader is, of course, the English voice of Solid Snake. Uh, from the Metal Gear Solid series of games. He wrote and, di- and directed this. And this is basically a fucking X-Men film with werewolves. And Jason Momoa plays Rob Zombie as a werewolf. Like, his, if you look him up in the film, he's basically Rob Zombie. <laughs> but he also turns into a fucking werewolf. And he fights an X-Men in it. And it's also worth pointing out, David Hayter also wrote the first X-Men film. Uh, so apparently he likes X-Men and werewolves. Um, arachnophobia probably need to do a retro review of that one at some point Uh, bone sickness the best horror film ever made I might have to have my friend over to watch this because he was the one that told me about this I saw it at a secondhand shop on the Ave and immediately bought it I was like bone sickness the legendary bone sickness. Yeah, I just want to stop you quick because uh, you you brought that movie up. I have seen people like throwing that out as like 
on wish lists for vinegar syndrome and like really? yeah there's people that want bone sickness and i i would because of just <laughs> your hype of it and I, I would i would buy it for the bit well if it was vinegar syndrome i'd probably buy it no matter fucking what but yeah yeah, yeah you totally would do that <laughs> <laughs> but wow i didn't know there was any sort of chatter about bones as as brad puts it people people want bone sickness yeah <laughs> the I, there, there are people sickness. out there throwing it out yeah well there is actually a label out there that, that not to take the conversation into weird conspiracy theory territory but i've i've had this spiel before on the show about uh, how red letter media and youtube and streamers like on the internets seem to have some some degree of influence on the world of of physical media these days because it is mm -hmm. such a niche market um and i think that some of these boutique labels some of these boutique publishers and distributors for these movies are influenced by like red letter media and other youtube programs and stuff like influenced by the the programs that are featured like the the films that are featured on those shows in terms of like the wit films they buy the rights to. Um, and there is a label out there that seems to be kind of a, like more aggressively doing this. Um, I don't actually know that I found it. Uh, I, I found it. Uh, Visual Vengeance uh, seems to be a label that it seems to be more explicitly doing that, like actively getting the rights to things that are featured on internet programs like Red Letter Media and the like. Um, so perhaps Visual Vengeance will be the ones to contract bone sickness. Yeah, yeah, they could do it. They could do it. <laughs> you know, actually, that would be a that would be a really cool thing if, say, Red Letter Media or something, those guys in Wisconsin covered bone sickness. Like, I'd be happy, but at the same time, I'd be like, damn it, I should have I should have been there first. Uh, Anyway, I also have a fuck ton of Resident Evil movies that I could hold up, but it's a tall stack. It's like literally every Resident Evil thing that exists on film at the moment. And I don't think I need to share that. Oh, wait, I do. <laughs> You're proud of it. So I'm not I'm not going to show like each title. I'm not going to flip them all by the camera, but, you know, it's a visual medium. So yeah. we have. I think literally every Resident Evil thing that exists. Uh, so we have the the movie, the live action movies. We have the first. Uh, no, this one's actually the first uh, animated one, the CGI animated one. All of these animated ones are CGI. The second one, I uh, think this is the third one. This is the Netflix show. This is the adaptation of the first two games that I went to see in the theater during the dark times with Kyle. Um, interesting story there of how I managed that. Um, and then this is also a feature film that debuted uh, on Netflix that also I ponied up the cash for the 4K fucking steelbook. It's all right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's a fucking ton of horror stuff. Um, it's not everything that I have that's horror related, but that's everything that I pulled. And it, it, it is a clusterfuck and a half. Uh, so Brad... Uh, how about you bring some sanity to this discussion and uh, give us your speed round picks? Well, I don't have a ton. I'll just burn through them quick. Uh, I just pulled off a couple Mar. I haven't watched any um, this year yet, but a couple Mario Bava flicks. 
uh, a Bay of Blood and Black Sabbath. Now, I will say this version of Black Sabbath that I own, uh, I this is from Kino. It is the American release of the film, I believe. And uh, a lot of people say the international or whatever they call the original cut is the superior one. And I don't think actually I feel like Kino did put out both versions and I just haven't bought both. I don't know. But the order of the stories is different in it because it's an anthology film and um people say that the version that i don't have is the better one but uh still a real cool uh anthology flick one of my i mean I, you loved the movie home invasion with scott adkins <laughs> uh one of my favorite uh home invasion movies is the strangers oh. i love this movie i think it's spooky I, I, it, time I gotta, out time out i got a time out for a second so I know it's the speed round. It's never expedient. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I should probably change that name. But um, folks at home, if you don't follow the Cinema Speed podcast, and if not, how dare you? Um, the Strangers is apparently like kind of a special movie between you and your buddy Bobby. Yeah. Yep. Bobby! Uh, because <laughs> it, it comes up in conversation between you, you two often. And it seems like there was a period of your lives where you guys were watching it a lot. And it's also one of those movies that's like, it's not just YouTube. Like a lot of people really, really like that movie. And I've, I've seen it. I did like it. I don't, unfortunately I don't remember it very well, but mm -hmm. it, it carries this reputation that's like, man, people really latched onto that movie. And am I wrong? Is, are they like making a third one or are they just putting out like a box set of, of what currently exists or something. I, I heard something like some big news, something or other. They are, they have made a third, fourth and fifth. What? Um, what? Yeah. The strangers trilogy is what? releasing next year. Uh, all, all already shot, all directed by Rennie Harlan. Oh, um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm very, uh, very intrigued on how that's going to play out. I know what um, teenage boys like these yeah. strangers at the door. <laughs> yeah. Very, I mean, interesting concept. Just, I mean, I kind of like the idea of just like, like they kind of Netflix did it with the fear street movies, like just shooting trilogies, getting it all done, shooting it back to back. Um, I guess X and Pearl kind of did it with two movies last year. Um, yeah. I can't say the Rennie Harlan thing is much of a selling point, but, uh, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued where it's going to go. So it is happening. <laughs> Holy shit. Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan, who is exiled to China not too long ago, like not exiled as in he did bad things, but exiled as bad things in that he made bad movies for too yeah. long and producers weren't willing to give him money. So he went to China to make films for a while. Now, apparently he's back. And he's accepted Netflix's cash. Holy shit. I don't have high hopes for that. I'm sorry, Brad. Um, although I heard no. that second movie already was not very good. Some people prefer it. I it definitely is more of just like a straight like forward slasher and less like suspense driven. Um, mm. I wasn't as crazy about it. Um, I like how much of a slow burn the first one is like there's not a lot of kills. It is more about just the, you know, the 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 horror of it, like, you know, somebody being in your home. And I 
it, it maybe dips off a little in the second half of the film. Um, but I think that first like 40 minutes or so, I, th- I think there's some really creepy stuff in there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, it, I seem to remember applauding the movie for its restraint. Where it's, mm-hmm. like it, it's very simple, but very, very, very effective. And man, where's your soundboard? Because you're dropping you're <laughs> dropping Matt quotes here. It's more, yeah. Or, or what, what's his face? Is <laughs> I, I do it just in conversation all the time now. We all do, Brad. We all do. <laughs> OK, so you can get back to your speed around. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, another horror movie I watched this month, Madman on 4K. Not great, but, you know, kind of kind of fun in a low budget slasher uh, put out by Vinegar Syndrome. Ooh. And then just received in the mail a little while ago uh, featuring a movie that you guys just covered not too long ago. I uh, have both versions of the Universal Classic Monsters collection on 4K. So you got the mummy, which way? No, I got, yeah, Drac, Drac, Dracula, Frankenstein, <laughs> Invisible Man, and the Wolfman, which you guys just covered. And then uh, Mummy, Bride of Frankenstein, Family Opera, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. I've seen all of these except for Wolfman and Phantom of the Opera, I believe. So um, they were on sale. I said, let's do it. Why not? So I, I picked them up, um, you know. I'll watch them someday. I might, I might watch. I've been flirting. You guys watch the Wolfman and I, it's w- the one in here I haven't seen. So uh, I've been flirting with popping that in this Halloween, but we'll see. Can confirm. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I I watched uh, the Bear Lugosi Dracula uh, recently for the first time. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, man. Like there, it's this, not great. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like not to poop on a classic like not to show my ignorance but yeah it didn't quite work for me such that i am very much willing to watch spanish dracula uh because i have often heard that is the superior version of that film and i i believe it because all of my objections to it were about the filmmaking um Mm -hmm. they're just the the lack of intent in like the camera placement and movement, it felt very stagey and lackadaisical in the way it was presented. And I've heard the Spanish version is just a superior production overall. Um, but yeah, uh, that cool, cool picks, Brad. I, I hope you get around to watching those before we get to Halloween. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and, you know, the short run time certainly helps. That's why I watch Dracula. <laughs> uh, any other picks, Brad? Nope, that that was that was all I grabbed. Okay, well, in that case, I'm I'm glad I uh, I'm glad I jumped in there when I did. Uh, so yeah, I guess that wraps up our Halloween Havoc uh, discussion uh, here on this episode of Tales from the Shelf. Uh, so uh, as always, thank you so much for joining me today, Brad. Uh, I feel like this was a spirited episode. Definitely a, a topic that's always worth talking about. But yep. you brought some really quality picks, man. Thanks. You did as well. You, you you brought some zigs instead of zags that I was uh, expecting. So, you know, kept me on my toes. Next time I offer video games, take video games. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, but yeah, thank, thanks as always. Really appreciate your help uh, today. Um, but before we go, uh, would you care to let our listeners and hopefully viewers uh, know where they can find you and your super awesome podcast? 
Uh, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. You can find us on social media. We're on X or Twitter at the Cinema Speak. Uh, Instagram, it's Cinema Speak podcast. And YouTube, it's Cinema Speak. Uh, and you can uh, find us iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. And uh, just find us on the web at cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Very cool. Well done. Um, now comes the fun part where I get to poke you through the webcam about your YouTube channel, Brad. Do you have any videos in the pipe at the moment? Nothing in the pipe uh, just yet. Probably uh, we'll be waiting until after uh, Hooptober and then maybe uh, when I got some more free time. Speaking of which, you, you mentioned that at the top of the episode, and I probably should have stopped you then, um, but not to drag out the, the ending here. The, the But uh, Hooptober, uh, would you care to share like the details of what that actually means? Because when I hear Hooptober, I think toby hooper just like you watch a bunch of toby hooper movies and say i didn't realize he had 31 films on his filmography <laughs> what actually is hooptober would you care to explain that i i don't really know that where it officially started i think it's just some guy uh on letterbox started it <laughs> just wanting to watch toby hooper movies and now he's you can like if you go on letterbox search hooptober 2023 and go to lists uh, you'll see everybody posting their Hooptober lists, and a lot of them link to the original guy who uh, comes up with all their rules. Each year, the rules are different. Um, so, like, for example, one rule uh, this year is you have to watch a movie from the year you turned 10, a horror <laughs> movie from the year you turned 10. And so then there's, you know, just a bunch of different. And I don't really usually follow the rules that strictly. This year, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to... I'm not going to follow them all, but uh, you know, I'm trying to follow the guidelines a little bit. Um, and, but the one rule every year is you have to watch at least one Toby Hooper movie. That's why it's called the Hooptober. Okay. Well, Hey man, you hang out enough on letterbox. Maybe you'll be that guy someday. Like maybe, maybe you'll come up with a Hooptober adjacent kind of thing. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed, bud. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, as for myself and catching up on cinema, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website uh, at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter at Catching Cinema. That's also X, whatever the fuck they're calling it these days. And uh, the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is also available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade, so fucking Google it. And uh, that being said, thank you so much for listening slash watching, hopefully watching, uh, and we will catch you next time. Say bye, Brad. Bye. Thanks for listening slash watching.